Okay, we are going to continue in the book of Matthew today. We're actually going to finish chapter 24. Um, it's, there's been a lot in this chapter, and I'm sure we'll be referring back to it a lot. But last week, if you remember, I'll just try to catch up briefly. Last week, uh, we discussed the signs of the last generation, how to identify that before the second coming, right? And we also learned that the same people that see the events of the 70th week or of the tribulation period will also be the last generation, the, the one that sees the return of Christ. The thing that was kind of strange to us last week was that we learned that we could be that last generation. Now, I'm not saying we are, but we could be. I mean, if, if there's nothing left to happen before the rapture. So if the Lord were to come and rapture us today, I'd like to think that, you know, we'd make it seven more years and make us that generation. What do you think? So, I mean, it could happen. It's, it's imminent. That could be the case uh, because nobody really knows when he's coming. So today, kind of the theory or the, the point today is to teach people to be ready uh, that's kind of where we left off last week and where we're going to pick up today. Now, today's title uh, is A Tale of Two Servants, and I believe it'll be obvious why, uh, because today we're going to discuss two different kinds of servants. Uh, the first is the faithful servant, and the second uh, is the evil servant. Now, this message, I want you to understand, could be applicable to pre- and post-rapture people, and I'll explain that as we go you know, further into the message but Jesus is going to really try to drive home that your faith isn't a part-time position. It's something we have to live all the time so that we can be expectant and be ready for Christ to return. So let's jump right in. That's as fast as I can catch up. Okay, Matthew 24, starting in verse 42. It says, therefore what? Be on the alert. <laughs> you see the person back going, huh? <laughs> yeah, never mind. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this that if the head of the house had known at what time uh, of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you, must, uh, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Now, this is a really, really awesome illustration. It seems strange, but it's an awesome illustration, because the, the, the point of this illustration is about a thief and a homeowner, and no one knows when they're going to be broken into. Right? This is talking about how you can never understand, you never know, you, it's not like you get up one day and go, gosh, it's a beautiful day, this is a good day to get broken into. I should be ready tonight. You never know when that's going to happen. You never know when something like that's going to happen to you, and it's, an, a per, it's a perfect illustration because you don't know when the Lord's coming back, right? I've never seen criminals send save the date cards out before they rob you, <laughs> right? So they generally like to catch people off guard, right? So listen, when I was this kind of jumped out to me when I was preparing this because when I was a kid, we lived in the country, which it isn't the country now because they built all around it, but at that time it was just basically cornfields around us. And so right off of six is where we lived, and it made it a real easy target to break into because they could just pull off six, come down, rip us off, take stuff out of our yard, take stuff out of our barn, and just take off. And it was happening a lot. I mean, a lot. And I remember one time... When I was a kid, we used to, this is back before, you know, there was gaming systems and back before there were phones, you know, back when people actually went out outside when they were kids and did stuff in the summer. How many people camped in their front yards when they were kids? There we go. Kids now walk outside and they go, oh my gosh, <laughs> the light, <laughs> you know, but me and my buddies would camp. That's one of the things we did. And we had this really cool tent set up and I heard like noises. And I was too lazy to get up, but um, the next day we got up and we found the tent ripped right off the stakes. 
And we heard the dog barking, so I figure he you know, might have scared them and they took it quicker than they would have, but they took it nonetheless. And I remember thinking to myself at 14, because at 14 you have all the answers. And I started thinking to myself at 14, I'm going to catch this guy. But here's the thing is, you don't know when they're coming. That's what makes them good criminals, is you don't know when they're coming. And I remember sitting up with my shotgun, hoping that I would catch that person. I know you're thinking, really, Chris, you're going to preach about having a gun and waiting for someone. (laughs) I was then and am now a redneck. That's how we handle things. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's how we do it, right? But what's really creepy about the whole thing is that a good criminal will case your home. They will watch, see, you know, your habits. When do you come and when do you go? You know, do you get up much through the night? Is anybody coming and going through the night? They know when the perfect time to hit you is. They know that. And that's what kind of makes this whole illustration come together for me because if you think about it, the greatest thief in this world is the devil. The Bible says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his whole purpose, right? And because he's trying to steal from you, he's going to be casing you. He knows what it takes to get you distracted, and that's what he's trying to steal from you. He's trying to steal your attention and your focus that you would be putting on God. He's trying to take that from you. And we're real easy. We give it up pretty quick, right? But he cases us enough to know what it's going to take, and he comes after it. He gets all of our attention off of God, gets us worrying about everything but Jesus. Now, let's be honest. People like to act self-righteous. But have you ever gone weeks without the Lord really being a thought in your mind because things are going on? Raise your hand if you've ever been there. I mean, just, and then all of a sudden it hits you. Oh my gosh. You know, sometimes what can be distracting you from that time with, with Jesus, you ready for this? Can be church. And everybody's looking at me like, what? But listen, sometimes we get so active in making sure we're there every time the doors are open and that we're in every group and that we're doing this and that we're doing that and we're making sure we're in the fundraisers and stuff that it becomes more of a job and less of, of a, you know, of a personal relationship, and we find that we have spent very little time ourselves with God. We've done it all, you know, corporately. And that happens to pastors, it happens to everybody. But anything he can use to take your attention off of God, he'll do it. And he's a good thief. He knows what it takes, and, and he gets that from you, right? He takes it. What his goal is, is he's hoping that he can get you so distracted that when the Lord returns, it'll be a big surprise to you. You won't be prepared. You won't be doing what you're supposed to do. That's his goal, is to distract you to that level. Now, last week we talked about the days of Noah. How many people remember that? Good. (laughs) That's scary. There should be more. But anyway, (laughs) right? In the times of Noah, though, people were very distracted. He did a great job of stealing their attention, right? To the point, they pretty much didn't even think about God. It was like it wasn't even a thought in their mind. So he had successfully stolen their attention, And so when Noah says, hey, you know, listen, the world's going to come to an end with water. They're like, whatever. What are you bringing this up for? God's not going to do that. You know, and they just blew it completely off because God wasn't even a thought in their mind. Didn't even think about it until the first raindrop fell, obviously. But this is an example of him successfully distracting people from God. Right. And this can happen so easily in our lives. I'm going to be honest. There are times that I will remember after a day or so and I'll think, my gosh, I haven't even thought about it. I haven't thought about him and me. 
I've thought about, you know, what I've got to do at the church. I've thought about what I've got to, you know, who I've got to visit. But just having that thought of, of, of the personal time between him and I, there are times that I stop and think, when have I done that last? Has anybody been there? You know what I mean? It doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. It just means that if you're faithful to church and you're doing a lot of stuff for the Lord, the enemy will even try to steal your attention from God using that kind of stuff. It can be anything. It can be our jobs. I mean, it can be bills, just daily problems. But there are times when he just steals our total focus from God. He just steals it, right? And this is, this is the whole goal, and this is why he used this illustration. Right now, the fortunate thing is, and, and lucky for us, God never forgets about us. Even when we forget about him, he never forgets about us, and he never forgets about a promise that he's made to us. Right? His promises stay the same. He said if we believe, he'd give us eternal life, and he will. He always keeps his word. Not because we deserve it. He gives it to us in spite of us. Okay, thank God for that. But he also said, just like I told you, if you believe, you'll have eternal life, I'm telling you, believe while you have the chance, because I'm coming again. Actually coming twice. I'm coming once to rapture my church, and another time at the end of the 70th week, or the tribulation period, to gather those people who have believed in my nation, the nation of Israel that has turned to me during that time, I'm going to return to bring those home with me. So the whole point of this whole illustration here was just to say, listen, God's word is sure. He can't change that. What he can change is your focus and your attention and keep you from being ready. And to be honest, church, he's doing a pretty good job. Let's be honest. He's doing a pretty good job, right? So it's really important here. What he's trying to get his disciples to teach everybody is, listen, always be prepared. Always live expectant because you don't know when he's going to appear. And then the next illustration, the, the actual tale of two servants here that we're going to talk about in verses 45 through 47. This is beautiful because he actually says, not only do you not know when he's coming, but you have to think about what condition you're going to be in when he does come. And this is talking to believers and unbelievers alike. Okay, let's jump into this. Matthew 24, starting in verse 45. It says, who then is the faithful and sensible slave? Okay, hold on a second. Slave, servant. Okay, I don't want you to get all distracted with that word. It actually means servant. Uh, sensible slave, servant, um, whom his master uh, put in charge of his household to give uh, them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Okay, now the first part of this illustration is, is, is about a faithful servant, right? And he uses a hypothetical situation here about a, a, a landowner and his servants. And it's pretty simple. He says, listen, I'm going to leave. Here's what I want you to do. While I'm gone, take care of the livestock, take care of my people, take care of my, my homestead, take care of everything, and then I will come back later. Take care of it for me. Right? It was really, really simple. And notice what he said. He said, blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes back. Now, here's what he didn't say, and this is what I think confuses us sometimes. He didn't say, blessed is this servant because of his many talents and abilities, because he can do so many great things. He wasn't blessed because of what he could do. He was blessed because he did what he was asked to do. Listen, one of the biggest excuses I get from people for not serving God, one of the biggest, is that I don't really have any abilities. There's nothing really I can do. I can't sing, and I'm like, neither can I. I can't sing. Listen, the only time I sing when I think it's safe is when everyone else is singing to drown me out. And you know what one of my greatest fears is in life? That everybody's going to stop singing and my voice will jump out. 
That's, that's what scares me to death. And then everybody's going to go, oh, gosh, he is called to preach. Certainly isn't called to sing. Right? They think, well, I can't sing, so I'm not important. That's not, that's not true. Or they say, well, I'm not good with people, so I'm not, you know, I'm not a good speaker. I'm, I'm not a good teacher. I'm not going to be a Sunday school teacher. I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm not going to be a deacon. So I just really, there's not really nothing I can do to serve God. I, I hear this all the time, but this servant could be blessed doing one thing, whatever God asked him to do. Listen, sometimes we get caught up in trying to look at what the big things are, when the biggest thing and the most important thing you can do is do what God asked you to do. And there's so many things in there, and none bigger than loving your neighbor. You know what? Love is the greatest weapon we have in the Christian arsenal, and every believer is capable of showing that to other people. Every believer is capable of making the love of Christ be available to people they know by showing it to them in their lifestyle and how they speak. That's something you can do just by doing what he said. Listen, God never said, you know what, I'm going to create all these really special people than all these bums that I can't do anything with. They're just going to wait around until I come back. That's not the case. Everyone has a purpose. We say it all the time. You know, everyone has a purpose. We're here on purpose for a purpose. But sometimes I think because it's not one of the, you know, the things that's noticeable, we don't think we do. If you want to know where to get started serving God, look at his word and do what he asks you to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. Show kindness and mercy and grace to other people. These are the things you can do and be just as blessed as anyone else, right? You just have to do what he asks you to do. The reason we're on this planet is to serve God. That's the whole reason we're here, right? And listen, there are a few things you can always count on with God, which makes it kind of nice when you're thinking about what you're, how many people have ever had the battle in their life with what they're supposed to be doing for God? Anybody ever had that battle? And I think we make it a lot tougher than what it is. I've said this a million times, but what I always tell people is, if you're good at it, start there. You know what I mean? That's generally a good place to start. If you can't sing, that's not it. Don't do that. Please, Lord, don't do that. Right? But whatever you're good at, start there. But there's a few things that, that you can depend on with God when he's giving you directions to be a servant that makes it a little bit easier. First and foremost, God is not trying to trick us or set us up for failure. Okay, that's not what he's trying to do. When I was a kid, I was raised in a religion that was very hellfire and brimstone. Matter of fact, a, a lot of hellfire and brimstone. I don't even know if we talked about anything other than hellfire and brimstone. You know, I knew there was a hell and I was going. That's what I gathered from my years in that church. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. It almost gave me a, a, a skewed view of God. Like when something would go wrong in my life, <laughs> Here's the spiritual advice I'd get. Well, you must have done something wrong, and he sent it on you. And I remember thinking to myself, man, not only am I going to hell, but he's sending all these trap doors for me everywhere, man. You know, I just didn't see God as invested in my success spiritually. I didn't see that. But that's so wrong because God never tries to trap us, and he never tries to trick us. He doesn't try to set us up for failure, right? Another thing, God won't ask you to do anything that you're incapable of doing. If he asks you to do it, you can do it, and you can do it well. That's something we have to remember. He never asks you to do something that you're not capable of doing and capable of doing well. But what happens is when we feel God leading us to do something, remember the thief, the burglar, the enemy we talked about? He starts sneaking in and saying, are you sure you can do that? Are you sure that's what God wants you to do? 
You don't want to step on anybody's toes. Oh my gosh, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard that. People always say, well, I want to help out around the church, but I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I'm like, stomp on them. I don't care. Stomp on them. We need the help. But he starts whispering in your ear. I remember before I entered into ministry, I felt this calling, and I, I wanted so bad to share the gospel, and I was, I was starving for the word. I was reading the word all the time, and every time I would get the nerve up to, to admit that that's what I should do, the enemy would say, are you serious? Everybody remembers you, Chris. You were a drunk. You closed half these bars down. No one is going to listen to what you have to say. Sit down and shut up and say amen and don't do another thing. That's what was, I mean, the enemy tried to take it from me every time the Lord put it in my mind. Every time. What I didn't know at that time was he wouldn't ask me to do it if I were not capable of doing it and doing it in a, well, in a way that was pleasing to him. But that's when the enemy steps in. We've got to understand that about God. He's not going to ask you if you can't do it. The third thing, anything, anything he asks you to do is always going to be for your benefit or someone else's benefit. Always. Right? He's never, never going to give you something to do for no reason. Right? It's always going to have a purpose. Right? And he always rewards those who do their best. Right? Now, let me explain that. Sometimes you feel like if you can't be perfect at something, you can't do it. You ever been there? You know, think about your kids. Now, when I was a kid, this is a different era, different time. How many people here made ashtrays? Yeah, you don't do that anymore. They don't have you make ashtrays in school anymore. And it's funny because everybody had to make an ashtray. They just assumed someone in your family smoked, right? Somewhere, somebody's smoking. If not, make them start because you're building an ashtray today. And we would build these ashtrays, and they were terrible. There was always that nerdy, artistic kid. No, I'm just kidding. Who comes out and goes, look, and it looked like it's from Tiffany's, you know. And then there's the rest of us where it looks like a pile of dog poop <laughs> with a hole in the middle to, to, you know, put your ashes in. So, I mean, I remember bringing that home to my parents who did not smoke. And I couldn't decide which color because I was ADD then too. And so it was like multiple colors. It was like all sorts. It was nasty, man. And I bring it home and my mom didn't miss a beat. She's like, oh my gosh, that is such a beautiful ashtray. Ashtray. That is beautiful. I'm going to put this right on the table where no one smokes. Thank you. <laughs> Listen, when your kids try to do something for you and they're given it all they have and their, their, their whole purpose is to please you, are you ever going to push them away from that? You're always going to accept what they've given you if they've given you their best. Am I right? I can't see too many people looking at their kid going, serious, that's an ashtray? You're terrible. Go back and find something else. Nobody's going to do that. God knows when you're given everything you have and why you're given it. So don't be afraid to step out, right? This is, this is what he's trying to get through to us. This servant, only, the only thing he did was do what he was asked. That's it. And God blessed him. Now let's talk about the second servant. Matthew 24, starting in verse 48. But if that evil slave says in his heart, uh, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour which he does not know, and will cut him to pieces. I will explain that, okay? And will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrite. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. First of all, we've covered this before. Weeping and gnashing of teeth doesn't always mean hell. It doesn't always mean hell, okay? 
It means a place of regret, suffering. It doesn't always mean hell. I just wanted to throw that in. But look at this, this other servant. And if you're honest, you're going to find that you've been this servant at least one time in your life. Okay? We've all been this servant at least one time in our life. Because this servant thought, you know what? He's probably going to be gone a long time. And I didn't say I'd do it right away. You know, he just said to make sure it's done. So, I mean, I might be able to start doing this a month from now. Right? So he, he automatically believes the owner isn't going to be back for a long time. Did you ever do that? When your parents gave you something to do when they're leaving town? Well, let's be honest with each other now. Right? And you're going, yes, mom, dad, I will do that because I am your beloved son. And I always do what you ask. And you're like, bye-bye now. Have fun. Take your time. And they're gone. Call our friends. Let's have the party. How many people's ever been there? You know what I mean? You put it off. Right? It's the same thing. He's putting it off. He's saying, yeah, sure, I got it. I'll feed him. I'll take care of him. And as soon as he's out the door, he says, I'll do that another time. I'll wait to the last second. Right? Another thing about when I was a kid I'm going to throw in there. I didn't want to be like the Christians I saw around me. And I thought like this man that it was going to be a long time before God ever did anything. So I thought, you know what? I don't want to be like these Christians. I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to be looking down my nose at other people. I don't want to wear polyester that much. (laughs) Right? I don't want to sit in church for that long amount of time. You know, they don't have any fun at all. So you know what I'm going to do? I'll wait till I'm 90, then I'll become a Christian, because then there's nothing fun to do anyway. (laughs) Right? I mean, ask Ben. He doesn't have any fun at that age. (laughs) But think about it. We've all been here. I used to feel that way. Right? And this is, this is the way he felt. I'll just put it off to the last second. Right? Besides, what the master doesn't know won't hurt him. Anybody ever use that one? Right? What my parents don't know. Except I was, I could never get away with anything. I left too many clues. But he was just putting it off. Right? And the thing is, is he was missing something really important for this plan to work. He didn't know when he was coming back. You couldn't successfully pull this plan off without knowing exactly when the owner is going to come back. So not only does he not do what the owner asked him to do, he starts beating the other servants that he's supposed to be caring for. He starts beating him and treating him terribly, right? Evidently can't handle authority. Anybody ever met the person that as soon as you give them a little bit of authority, they lose their mind? Anybody ever met that person? They turn into a you know, dictator from a third world country? As soon as they get a little bit of authority, that's because they don't understand the authority they were given was not their own, but their master's, and they were to use it to honor and glorify him. He didn't get it. He starts beating and mistreating his other servants, right? And not only that, he goes and starts hanging out with the drunkards and partying, just forgets about everything he's supposed to do. And obviously, from the way he acted, he didn't respect his boss, right? And, and he didn't really fear him. Right, so let's look and see what happens. It says that when he comes back, that he does what? Take a look at this. Matthew 24 says, The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, in an hour which he does not know, and will what? Cut him in pieces. Cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, this is not a slasher film. Okay, this, this isn't literally him cutting them into pieces. 
Okay, it's not what it literally means, right? In the, in the Greek, this literally translates to severely punish. It meant that he was going to severely punish this slave. Once again, he's using hyperbole, right? Hyperbole just means making an exaggerated statement or a claim that is not meant to be taken literally. Like, have you ever said, I am going to kill him? Anybody here ever said that? Really? How about your husband? Did you ever say about your husband? There we go. Right? How many people ever talking about your kids go, oh, I'm going to beat them to death when they say Anybody ever say that? <laughs> Everybody's going, no, just you, terrible father. <laughs> now, obviously, you're not really going to kill your husband, and obviously, you're really not going to, you know, beat your children to death. I, you know, <laughs> there's some people out there thinking, could I get away with it? But, I mean, it's obviously, it's just hyperbole, and this is what he meant. He didn't mean that he was going to come back and go, oh, I see you haven't done what I said, <laughs> you know, and lashed him into pieces. Not what he was talking about. He was just going to have to suffer severe punishment. Okay, and now I believe, now that we've seen the two servants, that this, this story can actually have a dual application, right? And I, and I want to explain that to you. I'm watching my time here, right? Now, first of all, we were talking about the tribulation last week, right? We were talking about the Jews during that tribulation period, and I believe one interpretation is this is a warning to the Jews during that tribulation time to recognize the time frame they were in and to believe because their time was short. It was limited. They didn't know when the second coming was going to happen, and God was merciful enough to give them a second chance after they had rejected his son. He says, listen, I'm going to give you a chance as a nation to believe, so I'm giving you these last seven years in which a lot of prophecy is going to be fulfilled. And you should be able to see what's going on and know what time it is and believe before the clock runs out. Nobody knows exactly when Jesus is coming at the end of that seven years, but they know that he is. And I believe this is him saying, listen, recognize your situation and take advantage of it before it's too late. I think, I think that's one of those things that could be talking about. Because the Jew that doesn't take advantage of that second opportunity during the seven-year tribulation period, the one who doesn't believe, there's no third chance. Because when he comes back, it's too late. Then he'll have to meet severe punishment. And what would that severe punishment be if they didn't believe? It would be hell. Now, as soon, it's, whenever I preach on hell, which is rarely, I do it when I come across it. But I always get that person that looks at me like, I just can't believe God would do that. Okay, you're correct. God does not do that. God never puts anyone in hell. But it is just as real as heaven. And the people that go there, are you ready for this? Choose to. They choose to. I'm not saying they, you know, one day go, you know what sounds good? A timeshare in hell. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> they have an opportunity to believe, to partake in the free gift of grace. God says, listen, I don't care what you've done, what you are currently doing. I don't care what your reputation is. I don't care what your family's like. I don't care what people think of you. If you can just trust that what my son does what it did was enough to guarantee your eternal life, I'll give it to you. If you turn that down, the free gift, then you are choosing the alternative because there's only two places you can go. To turn that down, a free opportunity, not based on anything other than God's love and grace, to go to heaven, if you walk away from that, you can't say it's God's fault you're in hell. That cannot be on God. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine someone's drowning, and there's people throwing life preservers all around him. And he's going, nope, I got this. When he drowns, it's on him, isn't it? There were life preservers all around him, and he wouldn't take them. It's the same thing. If people 
refuse to believe even though it's made completely free to them. And then they're put in this tribulation period where all this prophecy is coming true and these Jews knew about this prophecy and yet they still refuse to believe. I don't think you can really blame that one much on God. This is their last opportunity, right? Now, another interpretation here is I believe it can be a warning for all believers, whether before or after the tribulation, right? Because no matter when someone believes, no matter when that happens, whether it be before the tribulation, during the tribulation, whenever they believe, you have an obligation to serve God. You do have an obligation to serve Him. I love what 1 Peter 4 says, starting in verse 10. It says, as each one has received a special gift, what? It says, employ it. Okay, as each one has received what? Do what? So as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. There's two things we learn from this. First of all, each person has what? A special gift. Each person. Everyone has a special gift. And everyone is supposed to employ it in serving God. Right? Now, during the tribulation, obviously you know that seven years, the time is short. But even now, we don't know how long this time is, how, mo- how much time we have before he returns. There's nothing left to happen. Nothing. We've talked about that time and time again. So if you have a gift, you know when the time to use that is? Now. Because if the Lord were to come back tomorrow, that's when you would stand in account for how you've used the gift you were given. How would it be? Listen, believers, we're not going to be judged for heaven and hell, but when he comes back, there are repercussions for believers who don't do what they're supposed to do. And I'll talk about that here in a minute. But the timing is a lot like any other time, whether it be during the tribulation or before. We don't know when he's coming. We need to take advantage of the time we have now. Because believers, if we don't, there is discipline for us. And here's what that discipline is. We have the opportunity to serve in the millennial kingdom. Now understand for a second what that means. Serving in the administration with Christ. Can you imagine only answering to him with Christ in this world, right? Serving in that administration with perfect righteousness, the perfect love of God, being the one in charge on this earth. Imagine the, oppor- the Jews, this is what they dreamed of. This was their goal in life, was to be able to serve in the messianic kingdom. This was their goal. But when he returns, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do as a believer, you can lose that opportunity to serve. And that means that for a thousand years, you sit the bench. How many people want to sit the bench for two minutes? I mean, let's just be honest here. I've never had a kid come up to me and say, Coach, I would love to try out for your team, but I'm wanting to try out for the position of sitting on the bench. (laughs) Can I have that position, please? You know, and imagine a thousand years of sitting and watching other people serve with Christ in this messianic kingdom that had been foretold for, oh my gosh, it'd just, it'd be a tragedy. And in Timothy, they talk about this, 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 11. It says, it, it is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. That's talking about believing, becoming a Christian, having eternal life. Verse 12, if we endure with him, we will also what? Reign where? Reign with him where? In the kingdom. It says if we deny him, he will also deny us. What? The ability to reign. I think I put that in there, didn't I? Yeah. He will deny us what? 
There you go. Right? He'll deny us the ability to reign with him. That's what happens if he comes back and finds that we're not doing what we're supposed to. Verse 13, though, shows us about how loving he is. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So what he's saying is, listen, if you deny me, if you don't do what you're called to do while you're here on earth, after I've given you eternal life, if you deny serving me, I can deny you being able to reign in the kingdom. But you're still going to be there. You know why? Because a part of me lives in you the moment you believe called the Holy Spirit. And to deny you entrance into the kingdom would be denying myself because a part of me is in you. That just shows the beauty and the grace of God. So yes, there, there are consequences. All right? Now, if there's something I want you to take away from this, right, is that whether we are days before the rapture or days before the second coming, time is short. And even more so, you have no idea how long your time is. I say this all the time, and I will continue to say it. This place could last another thousand years, but I promise you won't. I promise you won't. And Christ may come and rapture his church tomorrow or a hundred years from now, but I don't think any of you will be alive in a hundred years. So take advantage of the time you have while you have it. Because how he finds you at the end of that time is how you'll be judged. And I think that is so important, especially if you haven't believed. Because, listen, when you die, that's it. That is your chance, right? That is your time to take advantage of that. Don't let those opportunities pass you by. Now, when you think about these two servants, I want one question to go home with you. Which one are you? Are you the one that's putting him off? If, would, how many people can honestly say, and I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but how many people can honestly say, I hope Jesus comes back now and sees what I'm doing? You know, I'm not raising my hand. Right? <laughs> Just saying. How many people can say that? How many people think, I'd like him to give me a little more time to get things figured out? <laughs> right? Listen, determine which one you are and do something about it. Because the one thing that we can't buy more of, the one thing we can't negotiate more of, is time. I'm going to go ahead and close there. I'm going to ask if you would to please bow your heads. We always like to give an invitation if this is your first time here. And when I say invitation, I don't mean one of those where I beg for hours and then you come down and that's not what we do. I just believe the word of God's powerful and I believe that God speaks to people through his word. And if there's someone here who's not sure where they stand with Christ, I'm not better than you. There's no believer that's better than you. The difference between us and you is we've trusted him. Believe me, we still don't deserve it. But if you would like me to pray for you, I'm not going to point you out. Just make eye contact, bless those people, and put your heads right back down. I'm just going to pray for you, bless those people. I'm not going to point you out. Bless those people. And it's my prayer that while you have the time, you take advantage of the time. And you know, I always pray for believers also. I just, I feel like when we say the enemy steals away our attention, I feel like we're the greatest victims of that. I really do. And since the time is short, I'm really going to pray that as believers we remember we've got a job to do. He left us here for a reason. I'm going to pray that we get serious about that job so that when he does come back, he finds us doing what's pleasing. Let's pray.
God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you for the love, the mercy, and the kindness you show us. I thank you, God, that all the things you do for us, you do in spite of us, because we certainly can't deserve it. And I just pray for someone here who doesn't know you, Lord. We know that there's never been a person that deserved heaven. But you've graciously offered it to anyone who will believe. And I just pray if they don't know you, that whatever's holding them back, you would just push it out of their mind, and they would believe your word and trust your son, Jesus, for their eternal life. And if they make that decision today, you've guaranteed they'll have it. I just pray if they do make that decision, they contact us or a good Christian friend or organization near them. God, for those of us who believe, we are so easily distracted. We are so easily pulled away from our purpose. Please recenter us. Put us back where we need to be. Let us remember what really matters. Give us a passion to serve you, to love others and draw them close to you. God, just let us live what we profess. And we just pray, God, that if you don't return to take us home before we come back here together again, that we would come here one more time and give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of. We just thank you for all that you do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.